Well, good morning. It's good to see you all here this morning as we worship our God together. I see that some might be visiting with us, and we're delighted to have you among us. And if you'd be so kind as to sign the guest book there at the back door or the front door. I never know which one to call it because you come in or you go out. But anyway, if you'd sign the guest book, that would be uh, very much appreciated. It's good to see Annika and her family with us. I simply point her out because she grew up in the church, and uh, it's nice that she came back to visit with us from Georgia, right? You're still in Georgia? Why somebody from Georgia wants to come to Michigan except for family, I, I question. But anyway, it's good to see you here. Good to see Teresa back, all right? Haven't seen her in a while, so slowly starting to get back and uh, see more uh, people here as we worship our God together. On the back of your bulletins are the announcements. Uh, we will be having lunch, and, and what a great day to have soup, huh? It's a little chilly and rainy, so it's soup Sunday, so there'll be soup for lunch. And then after lunch, we'll have an afternoon service, and uh, the afternoon service will center around a hymn sing. So if you have a favorite hymn you want to sing, and also a time of giving thanks. It's our, we do this annually, an opportunity to give public thanks to God. And so that will be the afternoon service around 1.45. And due to the holiday, we will not be meeting on Wednesday for a prayer meeting. Uh, you'll see next Sunday we have Pastor Mark Chansky with us. He'll be preaching both in the morning and the afternoon um, next week. So keep that in mind and the announcements that go along with that. And then you see also we're, we're changing things up a bit uh, with regard to the Christmas holiday. On the 26th, take note, the 26th. We're going to meet for a worship service, but we're meeting at 10 o'clock, 10 o'clock instead of 11. Some have mentioned they have family coming in for the holiday, and it would be nice if we could meet a little earlier because we will not be having lunch or an afternoon service. And then we're going to do the same on January 2nd. Um, it says 11 o'clock. I think we'll go 10 o'clock then as well, uh, just to have them both. And then hopefully we'll get back into routine, perhaps Sunday school starting again and morning and afternoon. But um, just keep those things in mind as you're planning your events during the holidays. All right. Well, now let us give our attention to the worship of our God. Uh, certainly as we meet here in this place, it is our desire that God would meet with us. And, and how dare we as humans think that God would meet with us. And yet he does meet with his people because he has provided a mediator, a way in which sinful human beings can meet with Almighty God. And that mediator is the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ himself said this in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father no one comes to the Father but by me. Only through Christ do we have access to the Father. We just take a moment and ask God to draw near to us? Ask God to minister to us through his word as we've gathered here to worship him. Inside your bulletin is the call to worship. The call to worship comes from Psalm 107. We will recite this in unison together. If you're able, please stand with me as we call one another 
to worship. Psalm 107, verses 1 and 2, together, church. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the adversary. Now let the redeemed of the Lord say so by taking your Trinity hymn books and turning to 535, 535 Trinity hymn books. How good it is to thank the Lord and praise to thee, most high accord. 535. Father in heaven, we give you praise and adoration this morning because you are worthy of all praise. You are the great I am, the Holy One of Israel, and there is no other God beside you. You do all things according to the counsel of your will in heaven and on earth, and no one can stay your hand. You ordain that your name is glorified among the nations even by the evil plotting of the devil and his deceived followers who war against you as you thwart them and defeat them and destroy them, casting them into the lake of fire. And so we confess that it is beyond what we can grasp to think that you, the creator and sustainer and holy and righteous judge of all things, have written our names in the Lamb's Book of Life before the foundation of the world and all those for whom our Lord Jesus died. 
not because of any good you saw in us, but purely by your grace and the glory of your name you saved us. So because of your tender mercies and for your glory, we ask that you meet with us here as we seek to worship you sincerely and without hypocrisy. May our prayers and the hymns we sing and our giving and the preaching and hearing of your word truly be a giving of ourselves as a living sacrifice of worship. Fill us and lead us by the Holy Spirit, that it all may be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And now, continuing in the Trinity hymn book, 609. 609, a reminder that it's just a few more years. And then we will know of that great day. The resurrection of the believer, 609. Consecutive reading this morning through the New Testament is the Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20, and this is the the chapter that the millennial reign is mentioned. And so I told Pastor Walden I opted to read Revelation 20 without comment. So if you found your place in your copy of God's Word, Revelation chapter 20. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, 
who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him so that he would not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were completed. After these things, he must be released for a short time. Then I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received the mark on their forehead and on their hand, and they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. When the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together for the war. The number of them is like the sand of the seashore. And they came up on the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city, and fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are also, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Maybe one small comment. These are the books where what we have done will be revealed for all to see, and every mouth will be shut, guilty before him. Were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. No one will escape. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. I will refrain from much comments except to say that God has a plan. And in the end, his enemies will be destroyed. And those who know him through his son, Jesus Christ. What a a, a delight it is to know that we will not experience the second death. That we will ever be in the presence of of our great God. Well... As we go to prayer once again this morning, we want to pray for the Trinity Baptist Church there in Yulong, Hong Kong with Pastor Chong. So let us seek our God together in prayer. Our great God, how again we give you thanks for the privilege that is ours to come into your presence. And we thank you that we have the blessed privilege to cry out to you in our great time of need, knowing that you will hear the cries of your people, not because of any righteousness that is found in us, in ourselves, but because of the righteousness of your dear Son. We have a way in which we can now come into your presence and be able to speak with you and lay our concerns and petitions before you. Father, what a delight it is to be able to pray and to intercede on behalf of your people, people that perhaps we'll never meet here in this world, but people that we have grown to love and appreciate because of the common bond that we have in our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for Pastor Chung. We thank you for his faithful labors in seeking to plant a church there in you and Long. Father, we're thankful for the opportunity that we've had to have him among us and to hear of his heart for the people of God there in that country. 
And we pray, Father, that you'll bless their gatherings as they come together. We thank you for those who've recently started to attend. And pray, Father, that they would be added even to their number. Father, we would ask that you would grant wisdom to Pastor Chung as he seeks to shepherd and care for your people. We pray, Father, that you would raise up men who would be able to labor along beside him, both in the diaconate and the eldership. Father, we know that this is a need we often pray for. It's a need that we have. And so, Father, we pray that you would bring men who love you, who desire to serve you, who can be of help in the ministry of the word, and then to help also in taking care of the other duties of the church. And so, Father, we pray that you might grant them that gift in days to come. We would ask that you would be with those who are not with us this morning, some perhaps on beds of affliction. We pray, Father, that you would draw near to them. We ask, Father, that in the midst of all this, that you would even use these things in their lives to ever draw them closer to yourself. Father, we ask that you would meet with us as we open your word. May the word come with clarity and with help for the people of God. Meet with us by your word and by the work of your spirit. Come and deal with us this morning as we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now before we come to open the word of God, take the hymns of grace. Hymns of grace. If you don't have one nearby, there should be one close at hand, turning to hymn number 126, 126, Behold our God seated on the throne, come let us adore him. 126 in the hymns of grace. Let's stand together as we sing. Deuteronomy chapter 5, as we continue our study through the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 5. 
we have made our way through the Ten Words or the Ten Commandments that Moses is setting before the people as they're about ready to enter into the Promised Land. It has been a long time in coming, but it is just a little while and they'll be entering into that land of promise. And no doubt, Moses' desire is that the people would take heed to these ten words. That they would be obedient to these ten words. So that it might be well with them and their children. So that they might live long in the land which the Lord, their God, was about to give them. That was his hope. And now, starting here at verse 22, Moses in this passage begins to set before his hearers the significance, the the importance of these ten words, the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. And so we read, starting in verse 22, Moses says, These words the Lord spoke to all your assembly at the mountain, from the midst of the fire, of the cloud, of the thick gloom, with a great voice, and he added no more. He wrote them on two tablets of stone and gave them to me. And when you heard the voice from the midst of the darkness, while the mountain was burning with fire, you came near to me, all the heads of your tribes and of your elders. And you said, Behold, the Lord our God has shown us His glory and His greatness, and we have heard His voice from the midst of the fire, and we have seen today that God speaks with man, and yet He lives. Now when, now then, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us if we hear the voice of the Lord, our God, any longer. Then we will die. For who is there of all flesh who has heard the voice of a living God speaking from the midst of the fire as we have and lived. Go near and hear all that the Lord our God says. Then speak to us, speak to us all, that the Lord our God speaks to you and we will hear it and do it. We'll stop our reading there. So after rehearsing these ten words, Moses wants them to know how seriously they ought to take these words. He wants them to be obedient, but he wants them to be obedient from the heart. He he wants them to embrace these ten words. He wants them to live by these ten words. And he wants them to do it not for fear of punishment, but because they love the Lord God and because they want to pursue the smile of the, of the living God in their lives. Sometimes people are obedient because they fear punishment. But I trust we want to be obedient because we love We love God. I I read of a lady in Colorado Springs who was concerned because of the high speed in which people were traveling through a school zone, giving no thought to the children or no thought to the law and at what speed they ought to be moving. And so one day she got to the school very early and parked just outside the speed zone. And she held up a hairdryer. And everyone who passed by 
thought she had a radar detective, detector, was clocking their speed, and perhaps she was in an unmarked car. So you know what they did? They slowed down for fear of punishment, not for the love of children. And so it is with us. God has given us these ten words that as the people of God, we ought to want to obey because we love our God. And so what we have in this passage is Moses reviewing what has taken place 40 years earlier. Remember, the people that Moses is now speaking to is not the first generation that came out of Egypt. The the first generation that has come out of Egypt, God spoke to and gave them these ten words. But because of their lack of faith, because of their disobedience, God did not lead them into the promised land, but He made them journey for 40 years in the wilderness, even to the end that the first generation dies off, now the next generation lives, and they're about ready to go into the promised land. But before they go, Moses reviews what happened back at Mount Sinai with the first generation and the ten words that God has given to them. And the question that he's asking or the question that he is confronting them with is this. Will you do differently than your fathers? Will you listen to God's voice? Will you display your love for God? By being obedient to that voice. And so what Moses sets down here is the uniqueness of that event. We see the uniqueness of God's words. We we see the uniqueness of God's nature. We see the uniqueness of God's people. And then finally, we see the uniqueness of God's man. These four things we find in the passage that I've read in your hearing. So now let us open it up. First of all, Moses points out the uniqueness of God's words. The uniqueness of God's words. Notice what he says there in verse 22. These words which the Lord spoke to you, all, the Lord spoke to all your assembly at the mountain from the midst of the fire. So, so he's directing their attention to the words themselves. And he's telling his, his hearers, these are, are different words than anything you've ever heard before. Think about the other laws. The other ordinances, the, the other statutes that, that God has given to you. You might say, you might say something like, well, there's nothing unique about the Ten Commandments. There's nothing unique about the law. And yet, when speaking about these words, we see in this passage There is something very unique about them. There's something different in these ten words than all the other commandments and ordinances given by God to His people. What's the difference? These words, referring to the ten commandments, Yahweh, the Lord, The covenant name of God spoke to all the assembly. They all heard the voice of God. That's different 
than anything else that has ever taken place. There are occasions in the Word of God when God speaks and someone hears. But on this occasion, all the assembly had gathered together. And all the assembly hears the Word of God. He spoke to them at the mountain from the midst of the fire of the cloud and of the thick gloom with a great voice. These commandments were given in an utterly unique way. The gathering of the assembly of God's people was like no other. They hear the Word of God. Not only that, but but these things are unique, not only because they were spoken by God, but God actually wrote them out. We read in Exodus 31 and verse 18, And when He had finished speaking with them upon Mount Sinai, He gave Moses two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone written by His finger. Not only did they hear the voice of God, but they we might say it this way, we have the signature of God upon these words. He wrote them out with His finger. These are the words of God. Now, we say that the Bible was written by the inspiration of God. And that's true. God used human instruments, however, to write that Word, to bring them into existence. So we have Moses, who was inspired by God, who who wrote the book of Deuteronomy. We have the Apostle Paul, who was inspired by God, who wrote the book of Romans and Colossians and Ephesians and so forth. Who wrote the Ten Commandments? God did. God wrote them. These words of God not only were inspired, but they were written by God. No other portion of God's Word was given to us in this way. Now I know we live in a time and we live in a society and we live among men where some would teach us, some good men, (laughs) but they they would teach us that the Ten Commandments are not relevant for us today. I beg to differ with them. These are God's spoken words. This is the voice of God that's declaring these laws. I say they are significant for us today. Imagine. Imagine for a moment what it must have been like standing there at the foot of the mountain and and the glory of God comes down. And the day turns to darkness and the mountain becomes a, a blazing fire. And then comes a loud voice and they hear these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And he begins to set before his hearers how they are to love God and how they are to love their neighbor. And then after speaking these things, he signs them with his finger. What unique words. 
as God's voice thunders these ten words. So we see the uniqueness of God's words. But then secondly, we notice the uniqueness of God's nature. The uniqueness of God's nature. Notice verse 24. You said, Behold, the Lord our God has shown us His glory and His greatness. And we have heard His voice in the midst of the fire. The people are struck with the majesty, the authority, the power, the glory of God on this occasion. How? How is the glory and the greatness of God exhibited? Well, let me give you a couple, three ways in which it's exhibited. First of all, it's exhibited in the physical events. We see clouds, fire, thick gloom. We hear, we feel the quaking of the mountains. We hear the voice of God. Just standing there and using your senses of hearing, of seeing, displayed the greatness and the glory of God. What an occasion that must have been. They were terrified as the glory and greatness of God is displayed in what they see. The glory and the greatness of God is also displayed. It's exhibited in the redemption of His people. In the redemption of His people. Notice what He says as He begins these ten words. I am the Lord your God. Verse 6 of chapter 5. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. God says, I, I've set my love upon you. Not because of something good that I see in you. I, I set my love upon you not because you're just a special group of people, but I've set my love upon you because... I've set my love upon you. I took the initiative. I did this. And in that, you ought to see the greatness and the glory of God. I, I sovereignly selected you over all the other nations. I, I redeemed you from the bondage in which you lived. I rescued, I rescued you out of the pit. I delivered you. This was my doing. And in that, you should see the greatness and the glory of God. And so they should see God's greatness and God's glory in the physical realm of seeing and hearing. They should see the greatness and the glory of God in the fact that He redeemed them. And they should see the greatness and the glory of God in His declaration. In His declaration. Notice, notice what He says. We've gone over this. He says... Verse 6, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. And you shall not have any other gods before me. I am God and God alone. You shall not 
make any graven images. I am to be worshipped alone. And I am to be worshipped according to my dictates, not according to your imaginations. You're, you're not to make idols as though I am one of your idols. I am God alone, and I am to be worshipped as God alone. I am to be worshipped sincerely. You're not to take my name in vain. You're to be careful how you live in light of who I am. Do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And then I'm to have one day, one day out of seven, in which you give yourselves to the delighting in me and the worship of this one true and the living God. I am the Lord your God. No other gods before me. Worship me sincerely. Be careful with regard to how you worship me and do not make idols and give me a day in which you delight in me. Why? Because I am God. And my glory and my greatness is exhibited for all of you to see who is. Who is a God like our God. And dear people, this let me digress a moment. When we gather together to worship Him, we ought not to give ourselves to our own inventions and our own ideas. As we gather together, it is not we ought to think about how we can draw the biggest crowd. As we gather together, we desire that God meets with us. If that's our desire, then we ought to come with a sense of sobriety, a, 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 a sense of wonder and amazement. Yes, a sense of joy and delight, but we are gathering to meet with God. And that, my friend, can be a very terrifying thing. For who is a God like our God? So we've seen here the uniqueness of God's Word, the uniqueness of God's nature, but thirdly, the uniqueness of God's people. The uniqueness of God's people. They're overcome with a sense. They're overcome with a sense of the great distance that exists between them and their God. Notice what they say, verse 24, Behold, you say, Behold, the Lord your God has shown us His glory and His greatness, and we have heard His voice from the midst of the fire. We've seen today that God speaks with man, and yet He lives. This is amazing. God Almighty speaks with man, and man still lives. Verse 25, Now then, why should we die? Let's, let's, not, let's be careful here. Why should we die? For this great fire will consume us if we hear the voice of the Lord our God any longer. Then we will die. There, there's this great distance that exists between who I am and who God is. And how do I ever expect to come into His presence? How can I ever expect to come into the presence of a holy, righteous, great, and glorious God? How do I do that without dying? Uh, that, that's, what they're, that's what they're expressing here. They're amazed that God spoke to them and they're still alive. The fear is that if God speaks another word, they're going to die. For a human to behold the glory and the greatness of God, to do this and live? Remember, God told Moses that if he saw him, he would die. God is so great. What hope do we ever have of coming into his presence? So we see the uniqueness 
of God's people. We read the same thing. Look over just for a moment to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. The writer of Hebrews speaks of these things as he sets before them the, the terrifying thought of going into the presence of God. Verse 18, Hebrews 12 and verse 18. For you have not come to a mountain that can be touched, a blazing fire into the darkness and the gloom and the whirlwind, to the blast of a trumpet, to the sounds of words which sound was such that those who heard it begged that no further word to be spoken to them. For they could not bear the command. If even a beast touches the mountain, he will be stoned. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I am full of fear and trembling. To be in God's presence is a frightful thing. He he is a consuming fire. He's given us His commands. This is how you're to live. We, We fall so short. There is this great gulf that exists between us and God. And if He speaks another word, I will surely die. That's how these people felt as this Word is given to them. Which then leads us to the uniqueness of God's man. Here we see the work, the meritorial work of another. One becoming a mediator for them. For we read verse 25, Now then, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us. If we hear the voice of the Lord our God any longer, then we will die. For who is there of all the flesh who has heard the voice of the living God speaking from the midst of the fire as we have and lived? Go near and hear all that the Lord our God says. Then speak to us all that the Lord, our, your, the Lord our God speaks to you, and we will hear it, and we will do it. Verse 28, And the Lord heard the voice of your words when you spoke to me. And the Lord said to me, I have heard the voice of the words of this people, which they have spoken to you. They have done well in all that they have spoken. Oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me, keep my commandments always, that it may be well with them and their sons forever. The people came to this conclusion. The only way we can get to God, the the only way we can hear from God, the only way we can go into the presence of God is through a mediator. We cannot go ourselves. How can we hear and live? So they said to Moses, Moses, you go. You hear what God has to say. And then you tell us, and we'll do it. We'll be obedient. And as we go throughout the rest of this book and the various laws are handed down, dietary laws and so forth, how do they come to them? They do not come from the voice of God any longer. But they come through the mediator, through Moses. God speaks to Moses. Moses speaks to the people. They were in desperate need of a mediator. This brings us to say something about the uniqueness of Jesus Christ. How will any of us ever hope to approach a holy, righteous God? Do you dare think that you can approach God 
just as you are? Do you think you can go into the presence of a righteous, sinless God who demands of you perfect obedience to His ten words? Do you think you can approach God in and of yourselves? Any man who's honest would have to confess. It's a fearful thing to go into the presence of God in and of myself. How dare I hope to stand before Almighty God dressed in the garments of my own righteousness because my righteousness is as filthy rags in God's sight. How dare I think I can go before Him and live? It will not happen. So what hope do we have? We need a mediator. We need a go-between. And God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And His Son came to this earth. And He lived he, he, he was a man in the same way that we are men. He, he, he knew what it was to be hungry. He knew what it was to, to be sorrowful. He, he, knew, he knew what it was to endure pain. He, he, he knew what it was to endure suffering. He, he's been tempted in every point just as we are. But the one difference is He is with sin. He lived here in perfect obedience to God's ten words. Never did Jesus Christ ever have any other God but God the Father. Never did Almighty God ever, ever Make an idol and worship that. He obeyed every one of the ten laws perfectly. So now he can go into the presence of God the Father. And he goes there on our behalf. As he took our sins upon himself. As He died there upon the cross, bearing our shame, all who believe in Him now have a mediator by which we can go into the presence of God. That's a wonderful Gospel. How dare I hope to stand before Almighty God? My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and His righteousness. So that day, when Christ comes again or when God takes me out of this world and I stand before Him, I have a mediator. And there my Savior says, that's mine. I died for Him. He's one of mine. And God will say, welcome. But for anyone who thinks they can go into the presence of God without the mediator of the Lord Jesus Christ, my friends, you're on a fool's errand. It will not work. But I'm here to tell you the good news. The good news is salvation is found in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone. So as we started this service, so we bring it to a conclusion. Jesus' own words. He said, I am. And He doesn't say, I am one of the many ways to God. He says, I'm the only way to God. I am the way, the truth, 
and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through Him. Moses serves as a prefigure of the Lord Jesus Christ and what He will do for His people. And so as we bring this to a close this morning, I ask you, what hope do you have of being in the presence of God? What hope do you have of standing before God? God forbid that any of you here, sitting here this morning think, well, I think I'm good enough. I don't think I'm bad. I, there's a, people are a lot worse than I Have you looked around in this world? There is a lot of evil going on. I, I think I'm all right. My friends, you're not all right unless you know Christ and know Him as your Lord and Savior. Let's pray. Our Father in Heaven, we thank You for the Word of God. We thank You for the clarity of that Word. And even as the people of Israel question how can they go before God and live, so may each one of us ask that same question. May each one of us honestly, sincerely ask the question of ourselves. What hope do I have of ever standing before Almighty God? And Father, we pray that You would open eyes this morning and cause some to see that Jesus Christ is the only Mediator. Your Word tells us there's one God and one mediator between God and man. The man Christ Jesus. And so may some come to know Him by faith. And Father, for those of us who know You, may we rejoice in such a great salvation. May we, Father, find ourselves with hearts of gratitude for opening our eyes and bringing us unto Yourself through Your Son, Jesus Christ. So do a work in hearts and lives that only You can do. And we'll give You the glory as we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. In closing, let's take the hymns of grace. Hymns of Grace hymn book and sing about the atoning work of Jesus Christ 187 before the throne of God above I have a strong and perfect plea a great high priest whose name is love whoever lives and pleads for me I trust we can sing this and know it to be sincere in our own lives 187 Hymns of Grace if you're able, please stand with me.
trust that's your prayer. And you know that is a reality, not just as a hymn. And again, stay for lunch, and then we'll have the afternoon service about 1.45. You are dismissed.